And greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and Shabbat Shalom, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. We all got through another week, all the trials, all the tribulations and praise Yahuwah here to broadcast live this blessed Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom, all of you in the chat there, have a great time together, keep it holy, keep it edifying and remember, Give us some thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, really does make a difference, and hit that notification bell so you can get a ping in the pocket if something really bad happens or if something really good happens. I like the second one better, don't you? Remember, please help with the ministry, with your donations and your gifts so that we can continue to reach the nations in these precarious and trying days. We are in Revelation chapter 6, part C today. Part C. I'm really excited to deliver this message. In fact, I was so looking forward to being able to spend some time in Revelation 6 because this for me has been a very pressing time because I wanted first and foremost to challenge myself challenging myself in my approach to the scripture. Because like most of you, I was taught that the rider in Revelation chapter 6 of the white horse was none other than the anti-Messiah. I was taught this, and I think that is how many of us were taught. And I've got to tell you, when I first approached Revelation 6, I started to make, like I always do, my study time, dedicate that time unto Yahuwah, ask the Holy Spirit to help me, and I begin to form out, um, form out an outline where I just started to write a few thoughts about the anti-Messiah, and I started to look at the UN and the, the Council of Foreign Relations, and they've actually got an insignia, which is a man riding a white horse, and, you know, and it was, it was you know, knee-jerk reaction, so easy to go into that study method. I had no idea whatsoever that I would be presenting a message that speaks to Yahushua being spoken of in Revelation chapter 6, specifically these opening verses. It challenged me to the very, very core. But then I took pause, I took prayer, and I took time to listen to Yahuwah through the Holy Spirit. And Yahuwah is faithful. Yahuwah is true. And Scripture is not of any private interpretation. That is what Yahuwah spoke to me to assure me that Matthew, Scripture is of no private interpretation. And if what I'm showing you is the truth, then you will find it reinforced in my word. Not only chapter and verse, but in thematic scenes and elements from the foundation of the word. When I study the Bible now, truly at this point in my life, it is with great fear and trembling. It is not without dedication unto prayer and a receiving of the divine Holy Spirit confirmation through the word. But I will be truly honest with you. I am slanted. 
And my slant on the Bible is always going to be from Adam and Eve, the fall, to Abraham, the promise, to Isaac and Jacob, to the book of the covenant that was offered in Genesis 12 and 14. That Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who then wrestled for the blessing, whose name is changed to Israel, who is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, that went into slavery, were delivered from slavery, went to the mountain, received the book of the, um, book of the covenant, that then went a whoring and the covenant was broken, went under the book of the law until the time of reformation when the seed would come, that then came the judges, then came the prophets, and then there was utter corruption and there was a division of the kingdom, that 10 northern tribes went out into the nations and the southern tribes stayed. And the prophets called them to follow the commandments, follow the commandments, follow the commandments, and they heeded not the prophets. And then they sent forth, Yahuwah sent forth his son, and the parable tells us what happened to his son after they killed the prophets. But the gospel, the good news message is the kingdom of Yahuwah will be preached to the nations and through the resurrected Messiah who sits on the right hand of Yahuwah, the Malkizedek, there will be the restoration of the whole house of Israel. I'm biased. I'm slanted. I have a scriptural slant, a scriptural bias. And any of us that study the Bible know that the word will be confirmed through Israel, Jacob, Israel, who had 12 sons. And the house of Joseph, which is Ephraim, which was known as the 10 northern tribes, scattered into the nations, Joseph's flame, the house of Joseph, Joseph throughout Scripture, is a shadow and type of Moshiach. We know him as Yahusha ben Yosef, Yahusha the son of Joseph. We also know that the house of Joseph that consists of all ten tribes are scattered into the nations. James tells us, the half-brother of Yahusha, as I greeted you today, greetings to all twelve tribes scattered abroad. This is the foundation of this ministry. And when Yahuwah, through the Spirit, told me to pause, and that if I was going to challenge everybody else not to greet me out, then I needed to be challenged myself. But then Yahuwah is not going to give you a command, and He is not going to speak to you through the Holy Spirit without the confirmation, and in my position, the reassurance through His Word. So today, I want to show you some of the things that troubled me that I had to have assurance in. And I didn't need assurance from a man. I needed assurance through the guiding of the Holy Spirit that what Yahweh was revealing to me was found and confirmed in His Word. Because I have been given a message of hope. And it is good news. It is good news. And that is that the first seal, the rider, represents the lamb of Yahuwah. And this is the marriage of the lamb, which reveals 
the blessedness to those that are able to receive the gift, the gospel, the good news of the first seal and come into the marriage supper of the Lamb because they will be brought under the covering of Yahweh's wings as the progressive judgments of the second, third, and subsequent seals go out unto the nations. This is an invitation by the Lamb that rides forth with the first seal, an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where you and I have the opportunity to obtain unity with our Kohen Haggadah, our high priest Yahushua, and escape the ensuing judgment of the following seals. The Lamb riding out with a strong hand and in his arm, his reward is with him. And his reward, brethren, is the first seal. This is something that was shocking to me and not what I planned to teach. And there were things that even when the revelation started to come and confirmation that I shared with you last week, Going back to the Psalms, going back to the Torah, and, for, and seeing this thematic elements build throughout Scripture, there were still things that I remember being taught in Calvary Chapel that needed to be answered through Scripture. But I had to be open. Not wide open to deception, but open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit to lay down my own agenda, as frightening as it would be to teach something opposite to what the majority teaches. But I know that Yahweh is faithful and that his word is not of private interpretation. There's six things that really troubled me that I needed to find the answer to in the word. And I want to just share those with you. And I pray that these six things that troubled me, maybe they don't trouble you. Maybe they do. But I wanted to find answers about these six things in light of Yahushua being representative of the Lamb here that rides forth in the first seal. He gathers his flock into the marriage supper of the Lamb, those who accept this revelation of the first seal to a place of safety. So there's six very important things that I wanted to find answers to in light of Yahushua being the one symbolized in the first seal vision as the rider on the white horse. And number one, Matthew 24 and the signs of his coming. I need answers. Yahweh, if, if this is true, then I, I, I'm, I'm seeing it. I, I'm starting to get confirmation, but you need to help me with some things. Number two, Revelation chapter 6, 2. I've got to deal with the bow. There's no arrows in it. My pastor taught me, well, that's because it's a false Messiah and he's riding out with a false peace. I know this. This needs to be addressed. This troubles me. 
Not anymore, but it did. Number three, Revelation chapter 6 too. Going out conquering and to conquer, this needs to be addressed. Number four, what about the bride of Revelation chapter 12? I got a lot of questions about that bride in Revelation chapter 12. Number five, how does this relate back to Adam and Eve? I mean, Yahushua, when he spoke about marriage and the putting away, he always took it back to the garden, did he not? Surely, in this great apocalyptic literature, we're going to see a restored Edenic dominion. Show me, Father, how we're going to get to this restored Edenic dominion. That was my fifth question. My sixth question was, well, what about this crown? What about this crown? So, to recap quickly, we're going to camp on the first seal today, but we are going to review the first seal and the lamb riding forth with the invitation in light of these six things. Number one, Matthew 24 and the signs of his coming. Number two, the bow of Revelation chapter 6 verse 2. Number three, the conquering and to conquer phrase of Revelation chapter 6 verse 2. Number four, the bride of Revelation 12 and what it is being a bride. Number five, the restored Edenic dominion, and number six, the crown. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24, and I pray that we would just be ministered to by the Ruach, and we would see Yahweh's word come alive to us today. Scripture is of no private interpretation. Yahweh will give us, through his word, confirmation and then reinforcement by the power of the Spirit. This I know has happened in my life, and I pray that today you will be able to see things. And you're not necessarily going to see things the way I see things, because Yahweh is ministering to us all corporately and individually. But he's going to lead us the same way to his word for answers. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Let's look at the text. And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Yahushua answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Mashiach. And they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things, they must occur. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to be afflicted and will kill you. And you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many will, they'll be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many 
will become cold. So as we approach this, let's be sound and let's be judicious in our approach. Yahusha nowhere alludes here to seals, does he? Seals aren't mentioned in the text, are they? There are no seals being laid out for us in a nice Greek linear fashion here, as I was taught at Calvary Chapel. I was taught this is, this is about the seals. And that's my knee-jerk reaction. But then I look at the text and I'm like, well, where does it say seals? Is it alluding to seals? And I continue on. You see, this admonition that Yahushua is giving here has no textual qualifier that it has to correspond directly to the seals, does it? There is no textual qualifier that this has to correspond to the seals because that would be reading my ideas into the text. And that is called eisegesis. I mean, this could just as likely be about the trumpets, couldn't it? This could just as likely be about the bowl judgments. This could just as likely be about none of those at all. This actually says in the text that this is about the signs of Yahushua's coming and the unfolding of the end. And that's where I'll leave it. And that's where I left it. This is about the signs of Yahushua's coming and the unfolding of the end. John isn't mentioned, is he? The author John isn't mentioned. Patmos isn't even mentioned. Neither Matthew or Revelation are reliant upon one another. And this is where I took pause. This could just as easily be talking about trumpets, bowls, as it could be seals. It could just as easily be talking about none of those at all because this is way before John was in Patmos with an apocalyptic vision. This is about Yahushua saying, beware, these are the signs. There is no nice, easy Greek linear storytelling. And that is something that I have laid down in my life. It's deceptive. We want everything nicely laid out. That's Greek linear storytelling. And the Bible, thankfully, isn't like that. But many people, when I was at Calvary Chapel, they would say, well, this is all how it's going to happen. It's going to be like this. Then this is how it's going to happen. That's the second seal. And this is the third. Well, hang on a minute. Seal's not even in the text. I mean, that's a total eisegesis. Where are you even getting that from? He doesn't say that. So first of all, for me, I had to lay that down. And then I realized once I laid it down, the text starts to open up to me. Because this source text that many use, or I should say abuse, this isn't limited to one writer, but many, many deceptive false Christs before the end. That's what it says. It says that there are going to be many false Christs before the end. Rider isn't even in the text. 
seals isn't even in the text. A singular limiter isn't in the text. A plural multiplier is in the text. Many, multiple, many. And in fact, the Greek word here is polos. But the Hebrew word is rabah. And it is a resh, bet, hey. It means to multiply, to increase, abundance, a mass. Many isn't a limiter, one. Many is a multiplier, isn't it? And now I'm starting to see how I said Jesus and Calvary Chapel. I'm not dogging on Calvary Chapel. I'm a product, thank, thankfully, of my past, but I'm not going to let the ghosts of my Greeked out past haunt me in this present time. Right now, my kids are like, what is he talking about using this? My children. Because kids are farm animals. They're goats. I don't have kids. I have children. And I am their father. I am not a parent because pair that rents the children from the state isn't happening here. But that's another subject. <laughs> False Christs, many, plural, will be amassing during the days of the end. All seals, trumpets, bowls, whilst those who accepted the saints are in a place of safety. Those of us that accept the seal, the first seal, are placed into a place of safety, and that is the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why? Because we accepted the revelation of this prophecy of the first seal. The first seal is a spiritual invitation. It's an awakening an awakening to the urgency of shelter and hope to come for you and I under the shadow of his wings. You see, this is an allegorical vision. We're not going to see Yahushua coming until the end. This isn't, we're not literally going to see Yahushua riding in on this white horse, because then that would be three comings, wouldn't it? He's not going to come till the end. This is an allegory. This is a vision that is symbolizing and communicating to you a reality, that there is going to be an invitation that's going to go out at the end times, and it's going to bring you into a place of hope and safety if you accept the revelation this is not a literal rider. Just as I do not believe that Xi Jinping is going to be riding in on the red horse. I do not even believe that Bernie Sanders is going to be riding in literally on the red horse. Though I do think that it speaks about communism. I do believe it is talking about those things. But we're not literally going to see Xi Jinping or Bernie Sanders riding the red horse. I don't think we're going to see the leader of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, riding in upon the dappled, ashen or green horse either. Do I think it speaks of Islam and the Mohammedan? Yes. But this is a vision. We're not literally going to see these guys pony up on a horse 
And we're not literally going to see Yahushua come in a third coming. That's insane. And I think that's something where people want that Greek linear storytelling and realize this is an apocalyptic vision of someone on the island of Patmos trying to communicate something to you, a truth, through allegory and parable and vision. And that is what I see. It's the cyclical way of communicating a powerful prophecy beyond time and scope to a people who are able to receive it. But if you want nice, linear, literal Greek storytelling, you'll miss the whole point. And that is where I fell captive with the Antichrist being the rider on the white horse. Oh, it's the UN. Oh, it's the Council of Foreign Relations. Oh, it's somebody who's going to pretend to be Messiah. He's got no arrows in his bow. He's going to broker a false peace. Yada, 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 right? I know, I know, I know. We've all heard it before. But that is not the way of prophecy. This is a vision. You're free from that way of thinking. It really is freedom. Freedom to allow the word to speak for itself. And it's not of any man's private interpretation. If I tell you Matthew 24 is about the unraveling of the seals, that is a private interpretation. It simply isn't in the text. And a rider isn't in the text of Matthew 24. That would be a private interpretation. We shouldn't listen to that. It's not true. That is eisegesis. And we need to be exegesis, extracting information from what actually is in the Bible. And just because we accept the invitation that Yahushua brings forth with this first seal, doesn't mean that there won't be attempts to imitate Yahushua. Of course there will be. That's been happening since the Bar Kokhba revolt in 132 of the Common Era. You may remember that's when Rabbi Akiva said that Shimon Bar Kokhba was the Messiah. They've been presenting false messiahs for thousands of years. The synagogue of Satan has presented more false messiahs than any other religion on the planet on the face of this earth, because some of you out there are like, Planet, what are you talking about? Have you not read the Bible? I have. But you know, sometimes you have to get over the things that you were taught by the globalists, okay? Democracy that comes out of the Greek, Greco-Roman system. So, false Christs will still attempt to overcome through deception and what appears peaceful means. I'm not saying that won't happen when Yahushua said that that will happen in Matthew 24. Just by us having the revelation of the first seal doesn't limit the prophecy of what Yahushua said, that there will still be many false Christs that will go out in the second, third, fourth, and subsequent seals. There have been false Christs before any of the riders of these apocalyptic equestrians, and there will always be. It's called the great, great deception. I'm just asking us, as I had to do the inward search myself, to remove the Greek limiters 
and approach the vision as a vision. And when you do that, you start to see how the Bible opens up. You can't put seals in the text of Matthew 24 because that's an eisegesis. Even with that, you're still not limited to being captured by Greek mythology. You're not limited because the Hebrew Bible will open up to us. We know that there are going to be, from Matthew 24, many. That's a multiplier, false Christs that present themselves as the truth. There's going to be many counterfeits. We already know that. We take the admonition and we take the warning. But that does not restrict us to the Greco-Roman interpretation of Revelation 6. Matthew 24, verse 13, actually tells us something else. It tells us that the saints will be kept safe, and it's because the gospel of the kingdom was proclaimed, the good news. I suggest to you, the good news is the revelation of the first seal, that it is an invitation to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb and come under the shadow of his wings to escape the subsequent judgments of those next seals, those apocalyptic equestrians that are riding forth. That's good news to those of us that are able to receive this revelation and drain the Greco-Roman brain. That's all I'm saying. You may be challenged, but I was also challenged. I'm no further ahead of you, except I have a little advantage. I'm the one speaking, <laughs> and I know what I'm about to say. But this is Yahweh's word that we're dealing with here, and he's going to confirm it to us today. So let's continue on a little bit. Matthew 24, verse 13. What does the actual text say? Let's extract exegesis, the information from it. But he who endures to the end, so it's definitely talking about the end, the same shall be kept safe. Oh, okay. Is that what I'm communicating the first seal is? Yeah. And this gospel, is it good news? Oh, this is super good news, is of the kingdom. So if it's of the kingdom, what is the kingdom? Is it one tribe of Israel? Is it two tribes of Israel? Who, out of all the patriarchs, represents the kingdom? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had 12 sons. But his preeminent son was who? Joseph, his beloved son. So track with me here. This good news that's to come, at the end of the days, we should be able to track it back to Joseph. Especially if it's Moshiach ben Yosef, who is represented as the rider here of the first seal. It should be able to connect back to the house of Joseph in dispersion, but also the patriarch, Joseph. Tracking with me? 
Because this is what I see. But he who endures to the end, the same shall be kept safe. It's about the end times, being kept safe. And this gospel, it's going to be good news, of the kingdom. The kingdom is all 12 tribes, the 10 northern tribes, the beloved son represented by the house of Joseph, shall be proclaimed to all the world as a witness. This first seal is a witness to all nations. And then, when? Then the end shall come. This leads me into my second troubling point that I have to find an answer to, and that's the bow. What about the bow? We need an answer to the bow because I was taught in the church that this is a bow without arrows because this is the anti-Messiah that's riding forth and he's got no arrows because he's going to pretend he's going to broker a false peace. Has anyone else heard that? That's what I was taught. Okay, that again is inserting all of our ideas into the text. I'm done with that. I'm sick of it. I spent too long listening to pastors peddling their wares, and I'm not doing it anymore. And I don't want you guys to do it with me either. That's why Torah to the tribes is growing so much, because we can be assured that I'm doing my due diligence, and you guys out there are doing your due diligence, because we love Yahuwah, we love His Word, and the Holy Spirit is alive, and Yahushua's alive. And we're all His children, and we love the Word, and we're all tired of the rhetoric. Let's look at the bow. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse... And he, sitting on it, had a bow. Turn with me while I take a sip from our sponsor to Bereshit, Genesis, chapter 49. Let's find out through the Bible what this bow is. Genesis chapter 49, verse 1. We'll start there. We are going to now use the Bible as a dictionary for the Bible because Scripture is of no man's private interpretation. You don't need my ideas of what the bow is. And I don't need some Greco-Roman pastor telling me his ideas of what the bow is. I need Yahweh to confirm it through his word, what the bow is. And remember... It's always going to go back to Adam and Eve and Abraham and Jacob and his 12 tribal sons. And the head tribe was the house of Joseph because Joseph had his two sons and they are Ephraim and Manasseh. It's going to happen. It's got a link to that foundation and then we're safe. Let's see if it does. Let's see if Genesis chapter 49 gives us the identification of the bow with all of the qualifiers that I need to sleep at night. And Jacob, oh, we're off to a good start. And Jacob, Israel, called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the last days. Who's in agreement? We're off to an absolutely tremendous start right here of identifying the bow in Genesis chapter 49. We've got Jacob, Israel, and he's even going to make it easy for us. This is about gathering you together in the last days. Okay, I'll let you read the rest in your own time, but let's get a bit more reassurance. Let's skip down to the 10th verse, and now we're going to see the real trigger. This is about 
the scepter being transferred and it's about Shiloh and those of us that believe that Yahushua is the Messiah, we know that Yahushua is, of course, the blessing and the prophecy fulfilled in the 10th verse. I'm starting to feel very good, but I still haven't found that word bow and I want to find surety and connections through the word and I'm going to go down to the 24th verse. But his bowed, who are we talking about? We're talking about Joseph. And his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty Elohim of Jacob. From the shepherd, the rock of Israel, by the Elohim of your father, who shall help you. And may the Almighty bless you with blessings from heaven above. You mean there's going to be a rider that descends from the heavens and he's going to give you a major blessing, those of you that happen to be in the last days, and it's going to be to the house of Joseph in exile, and it's going to be about gathering them in for the blessing. And it's going to be representative by the bow, and the person there who brings this present, this gift to us, is going to be the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Is this eisegesis or exegesis? Is this of private interpretation, or am I getting reassurance? I'm working you through my fear and tremblings. And if you see anything here, It's passion and excitement of how Yahuwah works through the confirmation of his word. Because like all of you, I have sat in pews for years. But at this point in my life, I have a gifting, as many of you do out there, to be able to see the revelation through the Bible confirmed. And I love it. And I get passionate about it, so excuse me if it's too passionate for you. Some people, you know, maybe it's a bit too salty. But, you know, that's just the way I am, and you can take it or sneeze it. Where are we? Verse 25. By the Elohim of your Father, who shall help you? And may the Almighty bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb... What does the breasts and of the womb do in relation? This is about nursing, coming into a place of safety, to be nursed and to be comforted during a time of trouble. Not today, but the way that Yahweh created it, the breasts and the womb are the safest place. Now, of course, today in our sick and twisted world, the womb is the most dangerous place to be. That just shows you how near the end we are, okay? The womb was designed by Yahuwah and the breasts to be the safest place, the safest place. Verse 26, the blessings of your father are above, the blessings of my ancestors to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him, the ruler and leader of his brothers. Now remember another problem I had was the crown, Revelation chapter 6 verse 2. The crown is given to the rider. The crown is given to the one in this prophecy as is the bow. So Joseph was a type of Yahushua in this text. He was shot at. 
He was hated, but born up under the sufferings. And Isaiah prophesied this about Shiloh in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. Because Yahusha is Yahusha, the son of Joseph. Yahusha ben Joseph. So Joseph here in this text is a type of Yahusha. He was shot at. He was hated. He was born under the sufferings. He bore the burden of the sufferings and was afterwards advanced to be the shepherd and stone of Israel. You see, hell can shoot forth its arrows at you and me. But when we're under the guidance of the shepherd, the stone of Israel, those arrows from the archers shall not avail when my faith becomes as strong as it now is. And I'm not preaching from you from a place of non-experience. And that's the thing that I dislike about the position that I have. I don't get the advantage to just speak it. I have to live it because that is integrity. I don't like that part because that is the part that is hard for me. But this week, I, this has come alive for me. Why? Being able to live it and preach it authentically to you. Because hell can shoot its arrows against me. Hell can shoot its arrows against you, the saints. Hell can shoot its arrows against Joseph in these texts. And as Isaiah the prophet said in the 50th chapter and the 7th verse, hell tried to shoot its arrows against Yahusha ben Joseph. But heaven protects and strengthens us by accepting the gospel blessing of the kingdom that is revealed within the first seal. That is why there are no arrows in the bow because the archers are out there trying to shoot at us just as they were for Joseph. Joseph's bow, Yahushua ben Joseph's bow, and metaphorically the house of Joseph's bowed. It is talking about our bow will abide in strength. That's what this prophecy is about. Brethren, don't be afraid. Your bow will abide in strength when you accept the revelation of the first seal. Because then you'll come in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And as the archers shoot, their arrows will fall short. They will not be able to hinder the faith of the saints. Your faith won't fail. We'll keep our ground through the great tribulation. And we will come off as conquerors. This is the prophecy of Joseph's bow. And it's all about the sixth seal and the end times. That's the context of this prophecy. And it is supernatural and super powerful. Who really is the shepherd? The rock of Israel, of course, it's Yahushua, the son of Joseph. This is his bow. This bow is actually a qualifier. It's not a disqualifier. This bow is what qualifies it as being representative in Revelation 6-2 of Yahushua being the rider. 
It's a qualifier. It's not a disqualifier, is it? It is the very qualifier itself. Now, some may stumble over the rider here in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, as being representative of the Lamb. But first, Peter tells us that the Lamb is what? The stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those disobeying who stumble at the word. Why? Because we've been programmed to have a Greek linear mentality. We want it all laid out for us. We just want to eisegesis, put our own ideas into the text and be done with it. A, B, C, D, E, nice line. Okay, here's the cross. All that happened before the cross. That's done away with. Now there's a cross. We've got this new thing and it's all that. But we still do that even though we're starting to awaken to covenant. But truly freedom is cyclical. And it is letting the word be the dictionary for the word. The stone which the builders rejected. This one has become the head of the corner. This is Yahuwah's doing. And it is truly marvelous before our eyes. That's why I've been so excited to teach Revelation chapter 6. Because it's astoundingly marvelous before my eyes. I didn't see it for 20 years. 20 years as a believer who really, really digs deep. I didn't see it because it couldn't come by my own idea. It had to be a supernatural revelation and then confirmation. That's why I'm being long-winded and sharing this with you today because it deeply impacts me. Let's look at one of the servant texts in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 5. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5. Now, some of you online, you've said that, what's wrong with Matthew? He's shouting. Well, I do apologize if I appear to be shouting. I've got this new headgear, and um, sometimes I adjust the levels, and, and, uh, and that's why I'm coming across that way. So I do apologize, but we love it here in studio. You know, if my youngest son lets one rip, I don't hear it, you know, which is great because he does like to go to the snacks and, um, you know, he, he likes to do that. He's very young and, you know, when I was a young boy, about six or seven, I like to let it rip too. So, you know, I don't blame him. But um, it helps me blast that stuff out. So I do apologize, but we've had a lot of good comments, but there's nothing wrong with me apart from I need to turn my volume down because I'm just like, it's got super confidence in the audio um, and visual stuff going on here. But uh, that's all good, isn't it? Oh, to be six years old again, I tell you, right? The freedom, the freedom of your bodily functions. Isaiah chapter 49 and <laughs> verse 5. This one will be out there on the internet for like 20 years and he'll grow up and go, I can't believe you said that, Father. Now, of course, this is the Isaiah servant texts. Look what it says. And now says Yahuwah, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel is not gathered, yet I shall be glorious in the eyes of Yahuwah, and my Elohim shall be my strength. 
And he said, it is but a little thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved ones of Israel. I also give you for a light to the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the gathering. It's the gathering to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's six things that I identify about the bow. Number one, the bow is Joseph's. It's not the anti-Messiah's. It's Joseph's bow. Number two, it's in the last days, Genesis 49.1. Number three, it's used to gather the house of Joseph in exile. Number four, it's used by Messiah ben Joseph. Number five, Messiah ben Joseph is the full realization, the shepherd, the rock of Israel. And number six, the bow means that you will be able to abide in strength throughout the great tribulation. And the archers that try to shoot at you, their arrows will fall short of the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's why there are no arrows in the bow. That is extracting information from the text. And Yahuwah has grown me and shown me how to not panic when major revelation comes that does unsettle me because it's against everything that the world says. And I think that's why you guys love tuning into Torah to the tribes. I pray that you can see that. And I give all glory to Yahuwah, and it has been a trial by fire for me. So Continue your prayers for me. Those of you who are intimate with me, you know that I get hammered, you know? In the legal realms, in false witness realms, constantly. More false witnesses come against me and my family, my business, than most of you will ever deal with in your lifetime. False witnesses. That's why bearing false witness is such a heinous crime to Yahuwah. But it's the refiner's fire. It makes me authentic. And it strengthens me, I pray, to strengthen you. Because things out there are getting desperate but the arrows are going to fall short. If you accept the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Yahushua represented here as the rider on the white horse. No, there's not three comings. Just like Bernie Sanders isn't actually going to saddle up on that red horse. Just like the head of Hezbollah isn't going to climb up upon the green horse. Because then we'd have Yahushua with three comings and we'd meet no different than the pre-tribulation rapture, right? No, this is a vision. I'm just trying to present it to you as a vision. 
So let's deal with something else that troubled me. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, you know, I just got a new King Jimmy. I love it. Smells great. Beautifully bound. It's actually a le- good for legal documents. That's why I got it. It's the specific um, Allen... Um, Long Primer Bible. Why I got it is because it's under license of Her Late Majesty Queen Victoria. This is a legal document you can use in a court of law. It stands up. That's why I got it. It's got a great... If, it's, if you get it presented to you, and then you have that signed, autographed better... Then you've got your family record for your marriages, for your births, for deaths. This is a legal document. It has to be honored. That's why I got it. But the King Jimmy fails abysmally on this translation in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. This is a King Jimmy utter failure because they're greeking you and me out. Let me read it again to you. And he went forth conquering and to conquer, a dreadful translation. This, they get this translation from one Greek word. It's the Greek word nikeo, nikeo. It means to overcome, to get the victory. And of course, the knee-jerk reaction then, because we've been Greeked out, this is the anti-Messiah because Yahushua isn't going to come forth to conquer and conquering. This is a false peace, and this is the anti-Messiah going forth to conquer the nations, right? Yada, yada, yada. We've all heard it before. But let's go back to the Hebrew. The Hebrew translation of Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, boom. It's super powerful because it's supernatural. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And he went forth in pure translucence as commander of the temple service in heaven and to oversee and set forward the saints. That's the translation. I'll read it to you again. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And he went forth in pure translucence as commander of the temple service in heaven, to oversee and set forward the saints. That's the translation, because the Bible tells us so. It is of no man's private interpretation. Because the Greek word, nikeo, comes from three Hebrew words, and we know that from the Septuagint. The Septuagint translated three Hebrew words into this Greek word, nikeo, that the King Jimmy did an abysmal job on. So for us to get the correct translation, we don't need to listen to me, thank goodness, and my private interpretation, which I do not want to do. We're going to go and find out what the three Hebrew words are, and we will use the Bible to define the Bible. First of all, let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. And we're going to find the Hebrew word here that the King Jimmy comes up and says means to conquer and conquering. But it's not. 
Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. Yahweh Almighty is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. Now, I'll tell you a story just because I need a little break. In my 20s, I was a mountain climber, and I used to do some perilous stuff. And one time, I did like a nighttime ascent of the North Sister, which is a very steep mountain um, near us. I did a, no uh, a nighttime ascent because I wanted the ice to be hard, because the top pinnacle is really, really difficult. And there's this traverse, and it's called the Terrible Traverse where you have to traverse across this shale, steep shale, and there's a 7,000-foot drop. And I was doing this, and I had, um, in Calvary Chapel, I led what was called mountain ministries. So it was me and two Christian guys, and I was a Christian at the time. And we flipped a coin, and old Muggins here was, had to be the first one to go across. And I remember one of the brothers, he quoted this, right for me, right there. He said, don't worry, Matthew. Yahweh is going to... We didn't use Yahweh. Said, the Lord is going to be with you. And then he said, your feet shall be like hinds feet, and he shall make you walk smoothly across the high places. And I was like, yeah, he's with me. And I just went right out there, and I just walked perfectly across this shale with a 7,000-foot drop, and I was not afraid at all. So, you know, I love it when the Bible comes alive when you're in perilous times. And that's what's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. And that's why I'm delivering this message today. But let's go back to the context here. We are looking to find the three Hebrew words that are translated into the Greek word nikeo, which the King Jimmy mistranslated into conquering and to conquer. Because I gave you the corrected translation, the inspired translation of Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, which is, and he went forth in pure translucence as commander of the temple service in heaven and to oversee and set forward the saints. Because I believe that is what he's doing today. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. Yahweh Almighty is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk on my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. The Hebrew word here for singer is what they translated into conquer and conquering. How do you get that? It's the Hebrew word nashak, and it means to glitter from afar, to be eminent as a commander of the temple service in its music, to oversee and to set forward. It's got nothing to do with conquering and to conquer. It's got to do with translucence, with administering in glory over the music and the temple service as commander of the temple service. Is Yahusha in that position? Is he? He certainly is. That's our first witness. Let's go now to our second witness, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to find our second witness through another Hebrew word that was also translated into the Greek word nikeo, which was then abysmally translated, or I should say mistranslated by the King Jimmy as conquer and to conquer. 
Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, our second witness, do not lust, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her take you with her eyelids. This, the Hebrew word used here and translated in the English to lust, is the Hebrew word chamad. It means beauty. It means desire and to delight in. How they got conquer out of that word and to conquer and conquering, I have no idea. Our second witness, the Hebrew word chamad, it means beauty. It means desire. It means to delight in, as you and I do in Yahushua. Let's look at our third witness. It is Psalm 51, verse 4. Psalm 51, verse 4, these Hebrew words were translated by the Septuagint into the one Greek word, nikaio, which then was mistranslated by the King Jimmy into conquer and conquering. Our third and final witness is Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear, and be clear, be pure when you judge. This word for clear is the Hebrew word zakar. It means to be translucent, figuratively, to be innocent. The Hebrew word zakar here, to be clear, was mistranslated by the King Jimmy into conquer and conquering. But really, it means to be translucent, to be innocent, to make clean, to cleanse, to be clear, or to count pure. So now I'll read you the corrected translation, I believe the inspired translation of Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, inspired by the word of Yahweh in the Hebrew, not by any man's private interpretation. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, and he, he being represented here of the Lamb, and he went forth in pure translucence as commander of the temple service in heaven to oversee and set forward the saints. You remember in Luke chapter 9, verse 29, and how did Yahushua look right then? He looked just like we see here in the corrected translation of Revelation chapter 2, verses, verse 9. We see it in Luke chapter 9, verse 29. Yahushua was right there glistening at his transfiguration in purity, setting forth as commander over the temple service in heaven. Yahweh's word is true and it is powerful for these end days. So now let's go into another thing that troubled me. What about the parable of the wedding feast? We're the bride, surely. We're not the wedding guests. What's that all about, right? These are genuine questions that I had. But in reality, no. We're actually not supposed to be just the wedding guest. No, we're not actually supposed to be 
just the bride. We're supposed to be a multiplicity in transformation. What do I mean by that? We're supposed to be not one, not two, but three. A multiplicity in transformation. Because this is all about the development of you and mind's faith. I'm now going to talk about the cycles and stages of our faith. Because in the Bible, we're referred to as servants, as slaves, as guests, as bond servants, as the bride. All different descriptors, which are all about the cycles of development of our faith and the maturity as the believer the believer grows. We're supposed to be a multiplicity in transformation as we develop in our faith. Depending on our attained status as we cycle within the wheel of prophecy towards final salvific culmination. You see, when I was first born again, I had a transference from being the slave of sin to the slave of Messiah. I became a slave, but of a different master. That was the first step for me. I was a slave to sin, and I became the slave of the master. I wasn't a guest. I certainly wasn't the bride. I was still filthy in my sin, but I had a transformation of status by the blood of the Lamb. From a slave of the devil and a slave of sin, I became a slave of the master. I was bound in chains, as Paul says, for the master Yahushua. I was still a base, carnal man in chains. But I had a positional shift. But you can't tell me that all of a sudden I became some holy saint. Oh, no, I didn't. I was a slave, a base man, but I was justified. That was the first stage of my life. The first stage of my life of authenticity as a believer. And I began to grow. I began to develop. And I'm always going to be a slave of Messiah Yahushua. But then I become a servant. I start to serve him by my outward working of deeds. And I begin to produce fruit. And the more I produce that fruit, the master then invites me to come in as a slave, Exodus chapter 21, into his house. I now transfer my status, grows into that from a base slave into a bond servant. And once I come into my master's house, I see that the food that he puts upon his table is different than what they taught me at Calvary Chapel in the nations. And I start to go, hang on now, hang on. My master's table is set very differently from the Greco-Roman table, from the papal table, and my master meets at a very different time. And I start to see that my master has particular seasons, moedim, of which he gathers around his table. And upon his table are certain kinds of food. 
and things that are not there, that the nations say are food, are not there. And I start to adjust my status to that of my master. And I say, master, I do not want to go out in the world. I now grow in my faith and I become a bondservant. Do you see? This is a multiplicity in transformation as we grow. And then from there, because now my master sees my good works and I am trustworthy within his house, he then invites me to his party. But I'm now a guest. Transformation and multiplicity. This is living. This is the wheel of prophecy, the wheel of faith. This isn't Greek linear storytelling. And eventually... As I grow and attain and reach the final culmination of it all, my hope is I will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant as the bride of the Messiah. Does that make sense to you? So we can't just say, oh, we're this, because we're supposed to be, I was a slave. I'm still a slave, but now I'm a bond servant. I'm a bond servant, but now I'm a guest. I'm a guest, but now I know that I have the hope and I will attain that of being the bride. Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is a multiplicity of faith in action. This is the cycle of the prophecies. But when we try and string it out in a linear fashion, well, pick one. Everyone's going to go, well, I'm the bride. That's linear thinking again. You you didn't come in as the bride. You were a slave to sin, just like I was. Now, I pray that you have made the transitional shift and your faith has developed, but some people's never do. And then some people never acknowledge that they're a slave to sin and they just want to jump to being the bride. They're not transformed. It's not authentic. That's called religion. That's called being an imposter. You will come and you will find that you do not have a wedding garment and you will be cast out. Because Yahuwah is looking for authentic people that were slaves to sin, that acknowledge that they are slaves of Messiah because the blood of the Lamb makes you justified and gives you a positional status change. And from there, you can actually build something. God, I've got to sit down and take a break. It's intense being me! Oh my goodness! Save me from myself. Oh, you know how many times I've prayed that? He's nodding in the back. I know you've prayed that, brother. I mean, I'd be prayed to save from you too. He is our friend, right? So ultimately, if I stay, stay a slave of Messiah, I grow into a bondservant a guest in this housekeeping, I start to see Yahuwah's times and seasons. I begin to keep his commandments. I cycle through to the culmination and I become the bride. This is an allegory of my spiritual journey and I pray it's an allegory of your spiritual journey too. Because if it is, your faith is authentic. And that's what Yahweh was looking for. Being a slave, a bondservant, a wedding guest doesn't, doesn't disqualify me as being the bride. Just because I'm a slave, I'm a bondservant and a wedding guest, that doesn't disqualify me from being the bride. It actually what? Qualifies me from being the bride. Again, this is a qualifier 
not a disqualifier. Now let's look into another one on my list of things that troubled me, and that was the mystery of the bride, right? Like we're saying, we're talking about the bride here. The bride. Let's look at the mystery of the bride today because we see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by Yahweh so that they might nourish her there a thousand two hundred and sixty days. The woman is the bride. Now, of course, I'll ask this question and you'll all be like, well, that's a silly question. I know that. Who is the first bride in the Bible? The first bride in the Bible, of course, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become basar achad, one flesh. Chava in the Hebrew. Zoe in the Septuagint, of course, the first bride in the King Jimmy is none other than Eve herself. Now, if Adam is a type of him who is to come, then what is Eve? And if the first man, Adam, being a living soul, and the last Adam was the life-giving Ruach, then is it possible, is it probable, that there is a first Eve and a last Eve? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. See, we're talking about the revelation of Yahushua the Messiah represented as the lamb that rides forth on the white horse, the first seal. If Yahushua is the last Adam and there was a first Adam and Eve was the first Eve, the last Eve, would Yahushua be riding with invitation for her? Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two of them shall be besar echad, one flesh. This, this is such a mystery that most people are going to miss it. But it's right there in front of you in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Messiah and the assembly of the saints. I suggest to you today that the last Adam rides out in Revelation chapter 6 to rescue the last Eve. And she, we see, is rescued in Revelation chapter 12 because she accepted his rescue in Revelation chapter 6. The last Adam is riding out for the last Eve, his bride today. This is Revelation 6 and 12. And this all happens 
through the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you have an ear to hear, let him hear. That speaks to the Israelite congregations, all 12 tribes scattered abroad. This is the invitation through the marriage supper of the Lamb. The last Adam calls to and is wedded to the last Eve in Revelation 12 and Revelation 19. This is one new man. The union of Zedek is calling. The union of the last Adam to the last Eve of the high priest to his priesthood. That's why they can't receive the message. Because it's only for the last Eve to hear. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the book of the law, the enmity, which of course is the book of the law because it's descriptive, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. The book of the covenant was the law of commandments contained in covenant. So this is connected to the invitation to the last eve so that he in himself, that he might make the two into one new man, making peace between them. It's the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, so that you can come under the shadow of his wings in these perilous, perilous times. COVID-19 just hit Oregon. It just hit Washington. The coronavirus We live in crazy times. They're looking to literally knock on doors for mandatory vaccinations, where you won't even be able to travel on an airplane without being vaccinated and showing that. They're already rolling all this out. Why? Because this is all about a controlled implosion, because the apocalyptic equestrians have bolted early out of the gate, is what I suggest to you. Whether this be so, you can see that we live and the signs of the times are here upon this generation, upon this very generation. We are lovers of Yahuwah, and this is where the crown comes into it. The last Adam metaphorically rides for the last Eve. Revelation 12 and Revelation 19 as he is represented here on the white horse riding forth for his bride. Because we are lovers of Yahuwah who are gathered to the marriage which will restore Eden. This is the marriage that will restore Eden. The crown of the spirit of union with the Melchizedek priesthood, with their high priest. This is the crown of the spirit of union with Yahuwah. And Adam and Eve, they relinquished that crown, didn't they? We just sung the song before we started and broadcast today, the song of the garden. They relinquished that crown of union and they took up the crown of sin and death for which they traded it and they passed it to all humanity. So when the Lamb rides forth, 
represented here in the first seal. The gift of the crown is in the very prophecy because this is the gift of the, prow, the crown of the restored Edenic union between Yahuwah and the second Adam and the second Eve. This is the crown restored by Joseph, Genesis 49, but it's Messiah, Ben Joseph. This is powerful, and the Bible interprets the Bible. These are things that I wrestled with before I knew that I could be assured that Yahweh wanted me to teach this message of Revelation 6. And I believe that the Word tells us and informs us because the Bible is a dictionary for the Bible. So let's see if we've got some questions that came in on the chat today. All right. Let's have a look, see here. Okie dokie. Okay, okay. Oh, yes. Need a microphone for in house. Sorry, I got my ears in here. Okay. Did we forget the crown after the bride? Did I miss something? Tell me that again. You listed the six items that you had wondered about. Yes, and the crown. The crown was in, mentioned in Genesis chapter oh, okay. 49 in the Joseph prophecy too. Okay. And the crown is the crown of unity between the spirit of Yahweh and the spirit of man. Of man. And that crown was traded by Adam and Eve for a crown of sin and death, for which, of course, the crown of Messiah Ben Joseph restores the crown of prophecy of the union of the spirit of Yahweh with his bride. That's why it's Joseph's crown, Genesis 49. It's Messiah Ben Joseph's crown, and it's the crown that restores the spirit of unity between the priesthood and the high priest so that we can go back to the Edenic union with Yahweh and the spirit of man and Yahweh are bound in the midst of the garden again. And that's why you see it in Genesis 49 with Shiloh and here in Revelation chapter 6. Sorry, I wasn't clear on that, but uh, let's see what we got here. All right. This question, Shabbat Shalom out there in the chat. And if you get to this video later, on YouTube. I believe we're now on BitChute, aren't we, Larry? We are uploading to BitChute because who knows how long the Google platforms will let us be there. Um, you can hammer away with blessings and honor in the comments section. But this question is from Much More Truth. I believe this is from our friend Shalom Brandon out there, brother. He says this, will there be more than one anti-messiah since first John speaks of, I think it means him being a spirit. Yeah, I believe there's going to be, like, like, like we saw in the Matthew 24 prophecy of Yahushua, many anti-messiahs, many false Christs. 
And this, isn't, this interpretation that I'm giving you of, of, of the Lamb being representative here in Revelation 6 isn't a limiter, meaning that there aren't going to be more deceptions coming. Of course there are. That's assured. Yahushua said it in Matthew 24. There's going to be all kinds of false messiahs out there, but we have the spirit of truth and now unity with Yahuwah through the revelation of Yahushua as the Malkitzedic. So we'll be able to have the discernment to see these things. Let's see. Let's see, we've got another question here. Again, this was from Brandon, much more truth. Um, do you think our days are being shortened now? Time seems to be speeding up tremendously. I do. I do. But then you're asking a guy that's been studying the book of Revelation night and day. So am I going to have, you know, apocalyptic vision right now? For sure and for certain. I'm thoroughly enjoying this, this though. So, but I do. I do. I, and I think any of us that are spending an, an, a good amount of time in word and prayer and seeing what's happening in the nations and, uh, you know, no longer have our head in the sand, I think we're seeing that too. It, it's really, it really is tremendous, tremendous times to be alive. And we have great hope. We have, this is a message of hope. It's a message of hope. And um, I'm encouraged. I'm strengthened in my faith. I no longer feel despondent. And it's not a false hope because Yahushua said in Matthew 24 that the gospel would go forth and it would be the gospel of the kingdom and it would bring us into a place of safety. And that's exactly what the revelation of the Lamb riding forth on the first seal does. It's amazing, amazing stuff. Shabbat Shalom from our friend out there, Modesto Gaza. Just a point of support for Yahushua as rider. The first beast which, speak, which speaks of the rider in chapter 6 is like unto a lion, 4-7, just as well in Genesis 49. What animal is Joseph compared to? Again, I love it. We're starting to get that Hebrew cyclical thinking. But it is hard because the knee-jerk reaction is to go back to our, I spoke about it the other week, those muddy tire ruts. Especially when truth is sometimes challenging and scary because you're going to go against the grain. Right? It puts you as a target. It really does. So, anyway, great question there. Great answer, really. You know, I don't want to go back too far. Try another one. Okay. Oh, here's a great question. Here's a great question. This question, Shabbat Shalom, Robert Edwards. Is the temple this coming go to the earth or in heaven is a literal temple or a spiritual temple? So I think what he's saying, sometimes you know the typing, you might be on a small device so it comes off a little funny. But I think he's saying, is the temple that's coming, is this a, a, a spiritual temple from heaven or is it a literal temple on earth? So again, truth and counterfeit. The false Christ are going to build a literal physical temple, the Temple Mount Institute, funded by the synagogue of S.A. Tan and Chaim Rickman over there in um, Israel, the state of Israel, which isn't biblical Israel. They're going to do a literal temple. 
And you know what? Most of the Messianics and the Christian Zionists, they're going to be rah, rah, rah. They're going to do animal sacrifices and it is going to be the abomination because we have an altar outside of the gates up on the Mount of Olives and our sacrifice sits at the right hand of the Father and he has interceded for us and he is the mediator of the Brit Hadashah. And you are the living temple. Lively stones made up the assembly of Yahweh. We are a spiritual living temple. I am the temple. You are the temple. The temple is with us today. And Yahushua dwells within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, truth, it's a spiritual temple. Lie, they're going to build a physical counterfeit. Again, there's going to be many false Christs. There is one sacrifice, and he sits on the right hand of Yahuwah, and there is one altar. It's up on the Mount of Olives of where Yahushua, of course, was nailed to the tree. Those are the sacrifice, altars, and prayer of the saints that we should be looking for. So, let's try here. Next one. Question. This is from Ubuk 8. Please answer, why couldn't Yahushua's words do not be deceived in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 translate as the first seal as the rider of the white horse in Revelation 6? Well, the question is, why would it rather than conversely? There's no seals mentioned in the text of Matthew 24. There's no single limiter, but there is a multiplicity of many, and there's no rider. There's simply no scriptural base for it. So therefore, it's coming from outside of ourselves, thus must be discounted. I hope today I've presented enough internal scriptural evidence of why the bow means what the bow means. The crown means what the crown means, and the rider is the lamb based upon internal scriptural evidence. That's just the way I do things, but I think you would never have this question if it wasn't taught to you by men, because you would never get that out of the Bible. In Matthew 24, there's no mention of seals. How could you get that there? Men's ideas. There's no mention of a rider. How could you get that there? All it says is these would be the signs of the end times and his coming. And that's the way I like to leave it. So, you know, people will agree or disagree. That's okay. This question is from Michelle Amaniwell. So, so he is saying the first seal is already opened. That is a great question. Prophetically, this is a vision. This is an allegory. This first seal is a seal of revelation. It could have been opened by somebody. Was it opened by somebody hundreds of years ago? It's a seal of revelation. The revelation has been opened unto me. The question here is, has it been opened unto you? Again, this isn't literal Greek storytelling. This is prophecy and vision, and it is an allegory. But I think today... The revelation is open, isn't it not? It is the opening. Literally, Greek linear fashion, I think at that point you're back into that limiting 
with your mind that you're looking for a physical person to actually get up onto a horse. And you know, there was an English general that rode into Jerusalem. I think it was General Allenby in like the, you know, um, the 1920s. You know, and of course he had this understanding from the Christian church in England, Church of England. So he actually got off the horse and he led the horse through the city gates because he didn't want to be misconstrued in the prophecy. So I understand all that. But, you know, I think that sometimes we can get a little bit too stuck in that literal fashion when it is a vision. This one is from Kevin Niebling. Shabbat Shalom, Kevin and family. Kevin is, uh, I just had a new baby. That's pretty exciting. I saw some pictures this week too. Beautiful baby. Matthew, would you explain the empty bow again, please? Yes. It again, it's Joseph's bow, Genesis chapter 49. And remember, Joseph, the archers, they shot at him. So it's the archers are those outside the camp that seek your destruction. But the archers shot at Joseph, but his faith and strength prevailed that the archers, the arrows fell short of striking Joseph and his faith, he was secure and had victory. Likewise, Yahushua ben Joseph, Isaiah chapter 50, the archers shot the arrows at him. But he bow, the bow was the place of safety, that his faith, that his strength, and of course, he was not struck down because death, where is thy sting? And likewise for us, the archers will shoot at us. But when we come under Joseph's bow, just like Joseph's, just like Messiah, Ben Joseph, we have the victory of faith is a surety. That's why we come under the bow of Joseph because it doesn't have the arrows because it's the enemy that what fires the fiery darts it's like the shield of faith it's the bow of Joseph and in Revelation chapter 6 it's the bow of Messiah Ben Joseph so let's see we've got another one this question is from Blue Heart Omega Truth Shabbat Shalom, Omega Truth. Question, do you think the 144,000 is husbands and wives who become one and what Paul talks about two becoming one? Well, ultimately, I think the 144,000 are the priesthood, those who love Yahushua and keep his commandments. They are, of course, the last Eve that is brought forth into the wedding Supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb by the last Adam, represented as Yahushua riding forth here to gather his bride in Revelation 12 into a place of safety, and ultimately the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 19. This question, Shabbat Shalom, from Linda Oster. What is the significance of the allegory for riding on a horse? What is the significance of the allegory for riding on a horse? That's a good question. Good question. Any thoughts? Any ideas? I don't have anything off the top of my head. Off the top of my head. It's a good question, though. 
Maybe you can answer it in the chat there, you guys. Work on that one while we continue on. All right, here's a great question again. This one is from Michelle Amoneywell. Why would the Messiah be riding twice in Revelation 6 and then again in Revelation 19? Like I said last weekend, this is the bookends of the whole vision. There is an invitation that is being written out at the beginning of this time of trial. Those then, they accept the invitation... The bride, the last Eve, Revelation 12, come into the place of safety and they will make it and endure all the way to the end, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that's when the literal Yahushua will come back. But he is now coming out as a what? In this, an allegorical vision uh, is an invitation. This is going forth. To those who are able to receive it. That's the way I understand it, and I'm sticking with it. Let's see what else we got. Oh, keep the chat going there. Now, there's some other questions, but they don't really relate to the teaching. So I think, brethren, that, unless you hit me with a few more here that do relate to the teaching, get them in while you can. Otherwise, we will just... Oh, here's a good one. Is there... I've got to make sure I don't go back too far. What's the date today? Oh, no, that's last week. See, I'm going back too far. I've got to be careful here. I do that. I think I got everything that relates to the teaching. You can hit me with some more if you want right now. There, you guys on the chat. Hit them, hit them right now if you want. Otherwise, I'm going to over and out it. I tell you what. Remember this, guys. We do have the Passover, April 2nd to April 5th. And we have got spots that have opened up for recreational vehicles. You can get your RVs in there. Now, this is fully catered. We are going to be having the Passover supper together. And we will be doing the Malkidetic service with the intimate foot washing. It is a real great time for us to come together. If you can make it, then come out here to Oregon and celebrate the Passover with us. If you can't make it out to Oregon, we do have our online platforms. You can go to Torah to the Tribes forward slash connect and you connect on those Zoom platforms. Right now, we've got so many great platforms going and people are making amazing, amazing connections. We've got the prayer group. We've got the brothers group. We've got the sisters group. We've got the Shabbat fellowship. We've got, of course, the one, the only Covenant Calendar Club, and of course, Torah Youth Worldwide, headed off by our partners over there, 
Chris and Bethany Bagwell and their little tiddlywinks. So we are really excited about the connections that people are making because really we are in dispersion. The house of Joseph is scattered abroad and this is a message of safety and hope that we will gather in. Now Yahweh does want us to gather together at three annual pilgrimage feasts. That's why we host them and we know that it is a strain sometimes making the journey, but it's worth it. It's a great time to come together for worship, prayer, teaching and edification. I'd love to meet you. I love to meet the saints. And again, many of you have written to me electronically. I get a ton of snail mail lately and I love it. Um, thank you so much. The passion Many of you are having visions and dreams and sometimes even nightmares. No, but I mean, really, I would have nightmares if I was dreaming about me. That would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? But apparently, you guys seem to think it's okay, so I'm okay with it. But thank you so much for the letters. I love them. I say them up, and I always like to read them on Shabbat with a nice cup of tea and a square of chocolate. So thanks. Keep them coming. Love it. Edify one another. Love one another. Remember, you are a hope and a blessing to each other. My phone is blowing up here, so maybe you guys are still at it at the chat. If you are, I'm good to go. I've got tons of energy. I feel like I'm 21. I've got to tell you. I know. My wife's calling me white beard. I look aged. But we can change that in a moment because I own a hairdressing school. So, you know, don't be surprised if I get some student to do some crazy do on me. And if I have to put one of those masks on, this is gone. Those of you, if it does get bad out there, of course, a mask is not going to seal to your face with an Abrahamic beard. So they may have to go if it gets desperate. And, you know, we'll do a, we'll do a little YouTube on fitting the masks if it gets to that point. I'm not there yet. But if this goes, that's because I am. And then you know you really should worry. Okay, if I'm worried, you guys should be worried. But right now, I'm as cool as a cucumber. Let's see if we got some more. Oh, we got some more. This one is from Dane and Taylor. I'm not going to answer Dale and Dane and Taylor's one, surely. He's mad as a hatter and believes the earth's flat. Who out there believes the earth's flat? If you're in the chat... Put some, you know, thumbs up if you believe. Give me a one if you believe the earth's flat right there in the chat right now. I want to see how many number ones we've got. If you're in the chat and you believe that we live on a globe, give me a number two. Put some, let's see the ones and twos coming up and then hit me with a count. I want to know who my audience is, what the heck's going on out there, because you know what? We live in very interesting times. Okay, I know that Danan out there put a one up for sure and for certain. What does it say here? That makes no sense to me. Danan, what? Danan is still on his 1990s flip phone, and I think he needs some spectacles. Sorry, mate, makes no sense to me. Let's try another person. <laughs> All right, this is from Jacob James. Shabbat Shalom, Jacob. I have a question. What happened to all the saints that rose with Yahushua? Who are they and did they die again or are they in heaven? Well, that's a great question. I believe from my understanding that those saints, just like Lazarus, they did die 
after they rose. They rose again, they lived out a natural life, and then they died again. They are in the grave. Now remember, it says that you only die once, and then comes the second death. But that is talking about the eschatological life between judgment and living. It's not talking about the resurrection that happens in this natural life. So they can, of course, rise again at the end days for glory as saints. But I believe, just like Lazarus, they lived out their life and then they would be dying in the grave waiting for the final resurrection. That's a great question, isn't it? Jacob, James. Right. Where are we? Oh, next one here. Question. Isn't Matthew 24 in context about the destruction of the temple and the end of the age? Yes, exactly. And that's what we're talking about. And that relates to one of the earlier questions is, is there going to be a literal temple? Well, yes, I think there is. I think that literal temple is going to be, you know, up on that what's called the Anatonia Fortress, and they're going to tell you it's the Temple Mount, but of course it's not. And it's going to be all part of that great end-time deception because there's going to be many, not a one-limiter, riding forth anti-Messiah. There's going to be many anti-Messiahs, a multiplicity of them in all kinds of deceptive forms, run and backbite. Christian Zionism, the synagogue of Satan, and the papal, papal system. Good, isn't it? What else we got? Great question here. Shabbat Shalom, Bill Crane. Where does Ezekiel 37 come into play, joining the two sticks of Judah and Joseph? Now, remember, you have to look at our series Ezekiel and the revelation of the 13 scrolls to decode, if you will, the King Jimmy chapter and verse because it's really 13 scrolls. But ultimately what I believe will happen, and you can see this through the prophets, is there is going to be a cleansing by fire over in the state of Israel where you're going to see I believe it's two-thirds are going to be wiped out from Ashdod all the way up the um, western seaboard, Gaza, and subsequently there will be a cleansing of the land. At that time, there will be an exodus, a greater exodus spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah, and the house of Joseph, the flame, will lead forth the saints back into the land. At that point, they, the house of Judah, will look on him who they have pierced. They will see and recognize, not literally, but they will have an awakening that Israel, the name, belongs under guardianship of Joseph. And it is when Joseph comes back to the land, leading all 12 tribes that you have biblical Israel, because, of course, Joseph bestowed upon his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, the name, the blessing. Jacob gave the blessing of his name, Israel, upon the two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So he didn't give it to Judah. So therefore, Judah isn't called Israel. It's only when Joseph and all 12 tribes comes. And there has to be a cleansing and an apocalyptic shift, trial by fire, 
over in the state of Israel before that prophecy can come forth. When is that going to happen? I believe it's going to be connected to the destruction of Damascus that I don't think has happened yet, but I think that is something that we definitely should look for. And I'm looking for the sea coasts on the western coast of Israel and two-thirds to be decimated by some kind of warhead or it could be plague. And then Joseph will be exiting from the nations. But we will be forced out, just like Pharaoh forced us out. Well, you've got to get out. You've got to leave. You know, it could be because a lot of you out there, myself included, um, I won't say it online, but anyway, that would be a prior. I've got to be careful, you know. It's Google, isn't it? Again, get some great, great questions in here. Some of them come in fast and furious and maybe don't pertain to the teaching. I won't hit those ones today. Blessings to you guys. You've stuck all the way to the end. So even if you've been hate-watching, you little monkeys, there's a couple of you out there every single week. You just love the hate-watching. Give us some thumbs up. You made it to the end. We take our hat off for you for sticking with Torah to the tribes. Even though you hate us, we love you. And we know that you love to hate Torah to the tribes. The rest of you out there that absolutely love the revelation that is going out to the nations, hit the subscribe button. Give us some thumbs up and be blessed. And we will see you, Yahweh willing, next Shabbat. Amen.